to the Coach V Show. Welcome to the Coach V Show, your show for personal and professional development with expert insights and interviews to help you meet and we work to be our best and live our best life. Offering to you, the listening audience worldwide on the app, on YouTube, on Facebook Live, and on my podcast, life lessons, success frameworks, and behavioral models to help you to achieve your success, but then translate that success into joy, peace, happiness, fulfillment, and family time, where iron sharpens iron together. We rise. Today, I am absolutely juiced. I had the opportunity to meet this young athlete back when he was still in the NFL, and now he's pursuing some other dreams. Former NFL football player Charles Brown is our featured guest on the Coach V Show today. Highly touted and recruited, coming out of Diamond Ranch High School in Pomona, California. Shout out Pomona and shout out to my boy, Roddy Layton. And he was offered scholarships to attend and play football for major college football programs, including UCLA, Oregon, and accepted to play at USC, where he was converted from tight end to offensive tackle in 2005, and he redshirted. In 2008, started all 13 games and received honorable mention honors in the Pack Dime West Side. 2009, named to the Sporting News All-American team, All-Pac-10 team, and recipient of the Morris Trophy, which recognizes the conference top offensive, defensive, offensive and defensive linemen. Selected in the second round as the 64th pick in the 2010 draft to the New Orleans Saints. Also played with the New York Jets, New York Giants, and the Dallas Cowboys. He is currently pursuing his passion of physical therapy and in his next stage of life of becoming a physical therapist. Welcome to the Coach V Show, my man, Charles Brown. Brother Charles, welcome to the Coach V Show. Awesome. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited to be a part of this. Man, I'm excited. Uh, man, I see that you're outdoors. This is my first outdoor interview. Talk to us and tell the audience where you are. And then after you tell them where you are and what you're doing, let's start with your Genesis story growing up in Pomona, going to Diamond Ranch and going that way. Okay, so actually, uh, I grew up in between uh, Los Angeles and the Inland Empire. Yeah. And I did all of my high school in, in Pomona. So that's that's. That's where I got real familiar with Pomona. But I, I moved around a lot kind of growing up. And then my father passed when I was 13. And my mom was just saying it, uh, she doesn't want to be in L.A. So I ended up moving to Inland Empire. And uh, I went to junior high school at, uh, at Lorbeer. And then I did my four years at Diamond Ranch. And then got recruited to go to USC. And then after that, drafted. You know, it's a, a large story. We could break it down to get to that point, you know. But eventually, I made it to the NFL. And uh, now I'm out here sitting outside because I'm actually a student at LSU right now. And uh, most of the areas where I can do a, a quiet speak with you, there's students studying. We have exams coming up. So I just chose to shoot the spot outside, you know, where we can get this done. Yeah, baby. Well, thank you so much for making time, Charles. I mean, Lower Beer Junior High, is that Golden Springs right, right there? Wasn't it off Golden yeah, Springs? Yeah, it's off of Golden Springs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's so off of Golden Springs right there. So, so when you were growing up, going to Lower Beer, was sports something you were always uh, into? And what sports did you play? So uh, growing up, I, I played basketball and football. And then uh, once I got to Lower Beer, I just only played football. I stuck to that. But it was actually a growing, a growing place for me, man, because uh, 
coming from LA, we uh, I did a lot of sports and I did school, but I did it differently. You know, it was more it was more organized in Pomona. And I remember us being on the flag football team. Right. And we had a lot of talent at uh, at Lord Beer, man, and our, our team went undefeated. But my grades were so low that I almost didn't get to finish the, the season with them. Right. You know, and uh, the friends I had in in Diamond Bar, they knew how to balance out the uh, academic schedule with the sports. You know. Right. And I learned right away, like, I don't want to let these guys just just leave and excel way past what I'm doing. So I was able to mirror what they did in the classroom a little bit, too. And it, it just it made me it was a growing moment for me, for sure. And it was after my pops passed. You know, it was good that I had something to go up to, you know. Wow, absolutely. And and what was it just because of the fact that you were competitive, that you wanted to be on the same level academically, though you were already on the same level or higher athletically? Is that what brought the awareness, that competition to be the best you can be? Where, where did that come from? Looking back, uh, I was more competitive than I realized at the time. Mm. I, I just... I just knew what I could do, and I didn't want to be left behind. And I started to realize all the reasons you can't be left behind, and it's not all it's just in the sport, you know. So it was a good, mo it was a great moment for me looking back on it. So then, you could be left you... behind competitively. Uh huh. Say that again. You can be left behind in the competition. You can yep. be left behind amongst your competition, and it's not always directly in the sport. Is the reason that you get left behind. That's right. So it's a mental game. And then so what were the the habits and what were the actions that you deployed, the action items that you did differently to now mirror what you say your counterparts were doing in the classroom? What was that? At one, you just got to be in class every day for sure. You have right. to be in class and you have to be paying attention. You have to be paying attention. You don't have to be the best student, but you have to be able to follow along with the rubric of what's going on, you know, and uh when you get home, you have to take a look. You have to take a look at it uh, once you get home as well. And uh, I didn't have those habits. I did not have those habits when I was uh, growing up in LA. And that also, I started in private. I started in private schools, so it's kind of like a lot of the work was done for you, and it was more of a schedule given to you. Right. And in public school, you're amongst so many other students. The teachers can't keep up with that mass of students without the students having a uh, having some kind of a regimen on their own. Right. So during my time at Mount Sac, I spent one year there. There was there was a counselor there by the name of Evans Roderick. So shout out to the Sac dogs, all the Sac dogs that are going to be watching this. And he had a framework that you just referred to, and he called it um, get up, show up and stay up. And it sounds exactly what you figured out was a framework to be successful in academics. Is that close? Am I in the neighborhood? Uh, it sounds uh, it sounds perfect to me. It sounds perfect to me. And those are the steps. And uh, those steps are in order, too, I believe. So get up, show up and stay up. Staying up is the hardest part. You build up to staying up. You know, I like that. That's I really like that. Yeah. And I like how you said it. And that's what reminded me of him, because that, that was the hardest thing for me being a, a Pomona guy as well. Uh, going to Marshall Junior High and Ganesha High School it, it, it's just to get up. Once I got up. And I showed up, I could get a C. I mean, how hard is it to fail a class? It's harder to fail a class than to get up, show up, and get a C, right? I mean, you just absolutely exactly, have to do nothing exactly. to get an F, 
right? So before we leave that, what yeah. else? A anything else academically is I'm just talking about what Roderick instilled into me from Mount Sac during my times there that you want to talk or touch about academics in your junior high years before we get to high school? Uh, memory that I have, uh, junior high school and high school, is that a lot of people say we're never going to use these things. We'll never use these mathematics. Right, 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 never right. Use a lot of in and as you're growing up, you kind of agree. And your parents even might agree. But now that I've been going to school, uh, a lot of that math mathematics is the baseline for understanding these big concepts. Mm -hmm. And it's so much needed, you know? So I've gone back to school and I've gotten to, to calculus. I didn't take calculus, but I've uh, done well. A's and B's and all my math up to calculus. Awesome. And I realized where each one of those classes relates to something that I'm learning now. So I would just wish that that wasn't a... Uh, a common saying that people that people pass around in high school and junior high. If you never get to use it, you just never got to that level of uh, understanding academics. Mm. No, that's big time. That's big time. And it and it's amazing, right? The one awareness that I got as I was getting my classes to leave Mount Sac and San Bernardino Valley College to go to UC Davis was I had to take statistics to get into school. And I figured out really quickly that statistics wasn't even math. It's figuring out the right formula, yeah. being able to read and comprehend and focus so you can realize what formula to use and then figuring out the patterns of everything. Right. It's like you don't really yeah. know. And you could you could talk negatively or have a myth that's not really proven about something until you actually have to do it. And I had no choice if I didn't take that statistics class, which I failed the first time at Mount Sac. And then I had to I had to get added in. Right. And then I'm like, man, this stuff is just really just trying to that you that really courage is the ability to just be willing to figure things out and that you know that you can figure things out. When I say that, Charles, what do you think about? Uh, speaking on the statistics and the graphs, I might get you to reset the end of that. But the, st the statistics and the graphs, it seems. It seems simple, man. Everybody can kind of tell what a graph is doing. But on top of that, like when you're doing research and you're reading on research, yep. you have to read the graphs kind of like you're reading a book, you know? So all these pictures of these graphs come together and they form a major picture that's not in the paper, you know? But by that's understanding right. the graphs, you should be understanding the trends that are happening in whatever you're studying and how it's affecting whoever the experiment is based on, you know, whatever the situation is. And graphs do a good job of illustrating that without having to write something out, you know? Absolutely. A graph is a great shorthand. A graph is a great shorthand for understanding a concept that's going on. I love that shorthand, yeah. right? Just like we did in, in football. I mean, everything was a shorthand, right? Well, I mean, what's the turnover margin, right? That yes. that wins ball games, uh, as well as when you get into the league, what's different than college is usually also penalties because they're on-spot penalties. So you, yeah. you pay more of a price. What's your red zone yeah. efficiency, right? I read up on on how many times that you've started uh, games and that there's so many stats and numbers. And, and I just watched the movie on Netflix called the black Godfather. Oh, before you, before you, before you go on V. That's, yeah, that's go exactly ahead. what I was. That's exactly what I was saying. Like we, you and I could definitely read graphs of red zone, red zone efficiency. Yes. Uh, penalties and, and uh, a first down, first down conversion. Yeah, yeah. And just by looking at those graphs, you have a great picture of what went on in that game, you know? 
Yep. And who won? Who's going to so win? It's a shorthand if you if you miss it. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly and it's interesting too because I, I watched this this Netflix documentary that I I really urge everybody to watch. It's about numbers, decision making, and relationships, uh, where it's a story about Clarence um, Avant, the Avant story. It's called the Black Godfather, and where he says, you know, life exactly. is numbers. Yeah, you start with a number and you end with a number. Anyways, I just thought was thinking about that as you're talking equations. Now, now you get you get to Diamond Ranch. You're in Pomona now. You you connect with one of my brothers, uh, Roddy Layton, right? And then it, you're bigger than most people. You're playing tight end. Talk us through that. What was that like? And just tell us that story, getting to Diamond Ranch, becoming a sought-after recruit, developing yourself to figure things out. How did that work out? Uh, so, yeah, I started off my freshman year as a uh, as a tight end. We actually won the we won the league that year. We I'm ninety percent sure we went undefeated. I'm pretty sure we went undefeated my first year. Yeah. And then after that, we uh I converted to offensive line. And we had two pretty bad seasons. And then uh my last season we had a new head coach coming in. Yep. And I just knew I didn't want to have another bad season going into me getting into a college and also knew I wanted to try to have as much impact as I could. Right. And in my mind, I just got done. I remember uh, T.O. had a book. What was the title of his book? It might be Give Me the Damn Ball. I, I, in my head, it, it, that's what it was. Okay. So Terrell Owens, and that was just painting my picture the best way I can have an impact on the team, trying to get some uh, catches and get some wins. And then also I knew that in the offseason, with passing leagues, I could try to get extra looks by uh, getting out there and competing. You know, there's not much competition in the offseason for alignment. Mm -hmm. I was just trying to get my name out there as much as possible. And that that's what made me want to be a tight end. Right. And then, so, I mean, you were, you were already six foot four plus, correct? Already at uh, that time, correct? Uh, yeah, I was six four, about 245 at that time. Yeah. So you were like a monster. I mean, I, I think I remember seeing you for the first time during that era um, and, and just how big you were, you know, and, and so how did that feel like being like the big dog on campus? I, man, I really didn't look at it as big dog on campus, man. But I uh, I did know that I had a lot of work to do. So I remember uh, I remember even just running a mile, running miles daily with a football in my hands because I wasn't used to carrying a ball. And I remember my mom looking at me like I'm crazy coming in with this ball and sweat. I remember um, rainy days, me and Coach Leach throwing the basketball and running routes in the basketball gym. Uh, I just remember a lot of effort, man. And I remember before Layton got there, we didn't have as, as well of a uh, a workout program. Right, right, right. And I remember I remember me, myself, Brian Holly, a fullback we had that ended up going to uh, Cal, uh, Titus Jackson, a safety we had that ended up going to Oregon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Andrew Ramirez, a, uh, a quarterback we had, he didn't go on to play uh, – Play sports afterwards, but he uh somewhere in the military, and he was he was a good leader, man. And anytime I wanted to run routes, he was usually going to show up. So I had a good group of people around me, and our running back Brandon Edwards is probably the most mature in the sport at the time. Like he, he could do he could do everything, he could catch the ball, he could run, and he knew what he was doing. He even lifted weights outside of uh, our program. Right, he just ended up not going for whatever his reason was. You know, like I said, yep. sometimes the competition is not directly in the sport. So he had his mm. reasons he didn't make it as far. But I had so many people around me, man. It wasn't 
I really wasn't a big guy on campus like that, man. I wasn't. Right. Our team might have been, because uh, that's the first time that the football team went to the finals, you know? Right. Right. So yeah. that was interesting because you were the biggest physically on campus, right? You were probably one of the biggest dudes yeah. on campus, if not the biggest. But you didn't see yourself as that. Well, what a humble approach and and an inward reflection at su such a young age. Where did that come from? I'm not sure, man. I just uh, I had a goal and I had to meet it, you know. And then uh, when you want to meet a goal and every model that I have is so much higher than where I'm at. You know, I was Mercedes Lewis was one of my models. You know, I was nowhere mm. near that. Dominique Bird was one of my models. I was nowhere near that yet. So I didn't really have much to get big headed about at the time, you know. But right. in, my, in the back of my head, I knew I was going to get there. So if that's big headed, then possibly. Mm. But I never, I'm not going to lie. I knew I was going to the NFL when I was in high school. Right, right. So you were humble, but you're going, I'm going to get this done. Talk about yeah. that. My dad played in the NFL for a while, actually, on a, a practice squad with the Rams. Yep. I've just seen bodies do it, man. And I've been around bodies that have done it. I, I didn't see why I wouldn't do it, you know? Especially mm -hmm. if I uh, kept my grades up. I didn't see a reason why I couldn't do it. And actually, now looking back, you know, you see people fall off. And I, my sister calls me arrogant sometimes. And I might agree. It's like right. that vision is crazy to have it. But I truly did have that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've known you for years now. I've never, I've never felt that arrogance come from you. Um, but I, I've always known and felt from you that you know what decision you're about to make. I've just, I've just had that. You, you've had that persona. So, I mean, Mercedes, Mercedes, did, did he play at UCLA? Is that the same tight end that played at UCLA? Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He gave me a pair of his gloves after a game, man. I've used them in every one of my games in high school. Man, yeah. So, so I remember, I mean, he was this tall, athletic. I mean, for, for the college days in Southern California, he was like the – Tony Gonzalez of tight ends, right? Just super athletic, really rangy and tall. And then, so you saw yourself in that yeah. mold. And then were you recruited that way as well to play tight end? Or did any coaches talk to you about playing offensive tackle? So yeah, Mercedes was definitely another level. He was about six, seven. And there were situations in the red zone where they were split him out, split him out to be the lone receiver. Yeah, yeah, third, yeah. You know? And you know the athletic... How athletic you have to be at six seven to be able to do that, you know, to run a slant or run a fade, you know, to where they can't just guard you for one. That's right. And I remember we had a uh, passing league tournaments, and Coach Layton tried to put me in some of the same situations, and I'll be able to get it done. But I realized that I'm, I'm not going against a collegiate athlete here, you know. Yeah, yeah. So I did know that there's a difference between the athletics, athleticism between me and Mercedes. And then along the way, UCLA told me I could play tight end, but USC Pete Carroll he told me that uh, my frame's just gonna put on too much weight, and I'll end up as a, a outside lineman. Right. And yeah. then, so then you're one of your, your, your people that you thought did it the way you did it. He went to UCLA, you were recruited. Did you take a visit to Oregon and UCLA before you decided to go to SC? Yeah. So I took a, a visit to both, man. And they were, they were both great. I got treated well at both. And then also one of my best friends, uh, Osar went on to play uh, quarterback at UCLA. And we we're in the same class. So I was really torn in between going to UCLA and USC. I just couldn't see myself 
USC just seemed like too much of an opportunity, you know. And uh, even Coach Layton went to USC. Right. So he told me about what the environment's like. And there's a guy that was a close friend of him, I believe he went to Mount Sac as well, named Rocky Seto, who was yeah, coaching Coach at, uh, Haruki USC. Seto. Coaching line. Yeah, I yes. remember Haruki. And he's yeah. A, yeah, he's a Christian man like myself. And just speaking with him, you feel something different, you know. It was just another level. Like, it felt like a brotherhood over there, you know. I, I wasn't sure that I'd be able to play as early as UCLA, but I just knew that being in that mix, I couldn't fail, you know. Yeah, so, so, so I often, coming off of a national championship. Yeah, 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 yeah. Keep going, keep going. They were coming off a national championship, and they were still having number one recruiting classes, you know. So it just seemed like, how can this place fail? And I remember uh, – I had a meeting with a coach from Oregon. I can't remember his name right now. But for some reason, he decided to do the in-house visit that uh, USC was playing Oklahoma. And then USC just blew the, blew the roof off with that. And I remember D. Bird having a one-handed catch. They ran yeah. the score on him, too. I don't know why he chose to come and have his meeting on the day we'd be watching that game in the house. Right, right. So then that right. kind of – I'm not going to Oregon, you know? Yeah, right, right. I mean – uh, being that I was in college football at that time, I just heard the 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 legends of the crazy energy. I mean, because Rock, I know Rocky. I went to Mount Sac with Rocky Seto, right? And you are so right, my man. I think he's actually a pastor now. He gave up coaching and he's a pastor in SoCal, and he he's just got a different vibe. And his his story is legendary as well, but. I heard about Ken Norton Jr. and then Coach Carroll's energy. I heard the vibe and energy there was just on another level. Talk about that. Yeah, so to sum up that energy, uh, I remember the, the day before the game and the meeting, the pregame meeting, not the pregame meeting, but the day before the game, at the end of our night meeting, I've never felt that energy on any team. It was just turn out the lights. Uh, we know what our task is, and we have a little chance that we do within the team. Uh-huh. And the, the room is rocking, man. It's just energy moving. People jumping around, hitting towards each other, but not not violent, but just sharing the energy. Right. And really, it kind of gets the jitters out. Like, I feel like everybody needs to do that, you know? I've never been on a team that does that. But I've spoke to people in uh, Seattle that knew him at SC, and they say he kind of runs the same type of shift that he used to run back at SC. Oh, wow. And how did that energy... I mean, because you guys had some dudes, right? I mean, who was your quarterback there during your time? Charles, remind me. Uh, when I got in, Leonard was there in the beginning. I didn't play under Leonard. And then we had uh, John David Booty. Yeah. That's when I really first started playing from out yep. in Louisiana. And then we had uh, Mark Sanchez. Mark, yep. had a good year. And then, we, and then I had a year with Matt Barkley, the young kid that uh, I believe was the first freshman to start at SC. Yeah. I believe oh my goodness. First. Man, that was some talent. So a few years back, um, I got a chance to go to a SC homecoming game about four, four years ago now. Right. And they were, they were um, retiring Troy Palomalu's Jersey. And they, they were like announcing all these people from like golf, soccer, baseball. I didn't. And these are like household names that I don't watch tennis or golf that much or baseball. And I'm like, that guy came to SC. 
And my wife and I were looking at each other back then yeah. and going, man, if the kids came to school here, this would be good for us as parents. Because, <laughs> I mean, there was red, <laughs> there was red and, and, and people tailgating on every piece of property in the, in the, in the general South Central L.A. area. It was just something. And, I, you know, yeah. I, you know, I mean, I was in the, the Western Athletic Conference when I was in football. But just like SEC and the ACC, where you're down there at LSU, USC is just a different flavor. Not just the program, but the tradition on campus, right? Talk about that. So there's a lot of just looking back on it, on what you're saying, there's a lot of heritage. And uh, one of the things that I didn't realize before I got there, like, even at well, sports is great. Uh, at the time, we had the most players ever in the NFL. I believe we got passed up now. Yeah. And then by Alabama. Yeah. And then yep, we yep. also, like, outside of sports, outside of sports, I didn't realize Neil Armstrong is represents right. USC. Right. I didn't realize George George Lucas represents George USC. Lucas, yep. A lot of these people. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Things I didn't even realize. And it's just like, I feel so so lucky to be here, you know? Yeah. And, and before we Very go into the... Yeah, and before we go into the pro deal, you know, you getting drafted and going to the league, I mean, you don't see yourself as the big man on campus, but now in your senior year, you're one of the top draft picks, and they're talking about you as like you're one of the best offensive tackles out there. Uh, you make all Pac-10, and then you're Sporting News All-American. What what does that feel like? All that hard work of you figuring it out from Lower Beer Junior High, which is like my hood. I, I I know so many people from there. I'm from Pomona, and then to get to a place where you accomplish so much and you're on the verge of achieving your dream of going to the NFL. What did that feel like, Charles? It felt amazing, man. It felt amazing, and not even just. Uh... I mean, you're not sure that you're going to be a second-round pick in the end of it. So some of the things, you just got to have faith and keep working hard. Yeah. Especially for me, man, because I got, I got injured in the combine. I wasn't able to in the combine. And then I just put all my cards into my pro day being where I would debut myself. And then I end up tearing my hamstring my second time running through the 40s. So I didn't get to do a lot of those competitions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the things that led up to some of those – yeah. The things that led up to some of those other accolades, just habits that were – instilled in me by the people that came before me, man. Sam Baker, to me, is one of my favorite athletes. And he's a uh, three-time for sure, possibly four-time All-American. Yeah. And he did it right before me. That was a left tackle before me. So, you know, yeah. I'm just taking on his habits and uh, trying to use his strengths and, and incorporate them to me if I can, and then use my strengths that he didn't have and incorporate that into my game. And then in the end, I ended up having my picture on the wall, and well, you know, and that was that was beautiful. That was yeah. beautiful to me, man. It's crazy even thinking about it now, because it's just you can't look at the the whole thing. You just got to look at the individual goals, but you have to have a good model to sh show you the goals, you know. And see, it was kind of like a factory, man. I just showed up and I did. I showed up and worked more so than doing anything extravagant, you know. It's nothing outside of the box. If you you got to find somebody that knows the habits that you need to get there. Yeah. And as we transition into your to the NFL experience, I, I hear this all the time because, I, I, you know, I played at UC Davis Division two football. I never tried out for the league, never got an invitation to anything. But we I hear this all the time. And, and because I'm a professional development guy and that's my industry, I always hear, oh, this guy taught me how to be a pro or in college. 
people always say, man, this guy right here, like you're talking about Baker, this guy right here taught me what it took to be an All-American. And so can you touch on that? Yeah. Like, like how the model, you got a model, you got people around you, you got Rocky Settle, you got Pete Carroll. But Ken Norton Jr. was there at the time too, correct? Yes. So what, what was yes, that yeah, like? Yeah. yeah, what was that like uh, of having uh, the model right in front of you and you're like, man, if I follow this right here, I got a shot. Yeah, yeah, it's it's great, man. But you also have to have a a good model that doesn't much feel that you're a threat to where when he gives you these things, you're going to take his spot, you know? Yeah. So I got lucky in that Sam Baker was in, in the end of his career and I was in the transition to where he realized what I needed to be for the same team. So I got lucky in that, man. I, I can't lie. I can't lie. And then in the pros, I probably did. You don't get a chance to have that model. And that was probably one of my shortcomings, man. You got to come in straight off and, Sometimes you got to know the technique that you need. You know, I had a brand new coach my year that I went into starting for the Saints. Uh, he was a running backs coach, not an line coach. So there wasn't much technical things that he can give me going in each game, you know? Yeah. I worked a lot with the right tackle. I worked a lot with the right tackle and techniques. He was older than me. So that helped me out some. But there was a lot of things that where I fell short when I got into the pros, to be perfectly honest. So now, now you're leaving SC. Um, you're, you're in the combine. And, and you get injured and you're going into draft day not knowing exactly what's going to happen. Talk me through how that felt like and then still being picked up in the second round by one of the best teams, one of the best quarterbacks out there, and then to be the left tackle. What did that feel like? And, and talk us through that experience, please, Charles. <clears throat> the draft, I was uh, very optimistic. There was like a slight chance I'd be a first-rounder is what I was – reading and seeing around. So I watched that first day, hoping to get drafted, didn't get my name called. I'm not going to lie, I went home pretty mad and didn't sleep well that night. And then the next day, the second round comes on and they're going through names, going through names, going through names. And I'm not getting called. If you don't know, the 64th pick is the last pick of the second round. So Right, right, right. It wasn't until that last pick that I actually got my name called. And I was sitting in a room with my family, man. And I was actually mad, and I left the room on, like, the 29th pick and stopped even watching TV. I went to go walk my dog with a friend. And as I'm out there, I get a call, and it's Sean Payton, and it's just a great moment. I remember. I don't even remember this, but my friend tells me I let my dog go. He had to go get my dog for me. <laughs> <And I'm> like, <laughs> but I was just excited, man. And I just knew that it was a lot of uh, – it was going to be a lot of competition. The Saints were just coming off of a Super Bowl, you know. And they had three pro bowlers on their O-line. And uh, even the left tackle was eventually a pro bowler before I got my chance to start. So I just knew that uh, it was a situation where I'm going to have to do a lot of work to get on the field. And then you know? and then talk about your your NFL career uh, offline. You talked to me about, hey, you know, I was dealing with some things. I was dealing with some physical issues. I was dealing with some things internally. How did that unfold to you? And, and and make you more aware that now has bridged you and transitioned you into what you're doing now? Uh, man, I just know that uh, everything doesn't last, man. And, and when it, it could happen for its own period of time, man, and nothing is guaranteed. I just remember when I was graduating, you know, you think like I'm becoming an adult. I want to start a family. I have the opportunity to start a family. I have the opportunity to buy a house. 
cars, help help my mom out, buy a house for them. And when you do each of those things, they all come with another responsibility that you have. You know, everything has a responsibility. You don't want to do everything at once. And I kind of did a lot in the beginning. And uh, it was just a lot to handle. And then you eventually get to where you have to let certain things go. Right. Or tell the people that, that they're responsible for this gift and they have to keep this gift up. And, you know, it's just life, man. Life is heavy. Life is heavy. My life as a pro was a lot heavier than my life as a college athlete. Mm. You know, even though you, even though you think the money should make everything easier in a way to where you can hand things off and pay people to do things. Or maybe I possibly did it the wrong way, but there was a lot more responsibility once I got to the pro level. You know? Right. And you said that and unpack that some more for the audience, because I that one that not money doesn't solve everything and that getting to one level of success comes with more responsibility. And you said the term, you know, this responsibility comes with even more responsibility. Can you unpack that some more for us, yeah, please, yeah. Charles? Uh, for example, I, I don't want to put everybody's but uh, for example, uh, buying a house for my family to live in. Yep. Over here, you should realize that the house is there, but it doesn't mean to quit your job and just live in the house. And then yeah, yeah. you guys have people come over and, you know, you yeah. know, stuff like that. You got to sometimes when you give a gift, you have to give the responsibility and make sure they understand the responsibility and how it's going to work for a greater good. You know, absolutely. And that, I, I'm not going to lie. That house put a lot of stress on me when I wasn't there, because, you know, when you buy a house. I didn't know this either. If you don't have the right insurance, everything that happens in the house is on you. Yeah. Uh, it could be kids have a party and there's underage drinking going on, going on in there and somebody leaves from there, gets into an accident or somebody just gets hurt on the property. These are responsibilities you actually have. That's right. That's right. And so now I'm not living there. I'm not living at the house. So it's not like I could just look at the house. And yeah, exactly. Tell everybody, you know, yeah, exactly. And so now you're going, you're, you got to grow up real quick, right? Instead of gradually, you know, like a lot of millionaires that I coach and, and billionaires, it took them 20 years. So it gave them an opportunity to go from hundred thousand air to multi hundred thousand air. Then five, six years later, they became a millionaire and they grew it. You just had these responsibilities like turnkey tomorrow. Right. I did. I and, really did. and then now, though, the challenges, they feel and cause angst, stress and overwhelm. Talk about that. And then how you just started to figure out how to unpack that and alleviate that stress and pressure so you could focus on what you need to focus on. Right, Charles? Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't do these things all right off the back. You know, I grew into learning these things. So you, yeah. you lose you lose you lose some things. Uh, but one thing that I think without anybody, if you find a, a good psych to speak to, man, that has a uh, a grander perspective than you have, you know, it relieves anxiety. And it doesn't even have to be like, uh, I'm Chris, so I can find a good pastor somewhere. And by this time of speaking to different people, I understand if they, uh, if they relay the Christian life the same way that I do, you know, and if there's something I can learn from them. Yes, sir. You know, so there's been uh, pastors everywhere, especially when I was with the Giants. I had Bible studies with a pastor. Even here that I'm now that I'm not playing, I do. Uh, I help with physical therapy. I'm a physical therapist assistant. And one day there's this man named Checkers that comes in and 
randomly he's talking about how uh, he's trying to put together a sermon. I didn't even know he was a pastor at the time. And he's trying to put together a sermon of teaching people how to pray. Mm. And just by chance, the night before I was reading, the night before I was reading the Bible, I don't remember the exact verse, but it's in Psalms. And it's a perfect prayer. And I remember, man, that's a perfect prayer. So then the next day when I see him, I show him this, what I've screenshotted from the day before, and that is a perfect prayer. And then we just ended up clicking from there. You know, I've had dinner with him a couple of times, and he's just someone to speak to that keeps you grounded, you know? Mm. Right. It's a, so a, a healthy humiliation is what I want to call it. A healthy humiliation. I like that. I like that term. I'm going to write that down to make sure I got that down. Healthy humiliation. And so mentorship. And having some people around you. Mentorship so, is the way to say it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So in that mentorship, who has that been for you? Uh, teacher, principal, coach. Let's start from the beginning and start to unpack some people and what they taught you in terms of being a mentor. Uh, you talked about Baker already uh, being a mentor for you while you were at SC. Any people like that that come to mind? Uh, Baker's been a big one. Uh Coach Layton has been a big one for me. Uh, Coach Steve Broussard has been big. Uh, the pastors I mentioned have been big. And I've had a, I had a professional therapist for a minute, man, for about a, uh, not a year, but probably six sessions over a year. Mm -hmm. And it was just a no nonsense, just these are the facts. This is what other people do. Just, these are the things that make you the same as others. These are the things that make you different than others. And these are decisions that you can make and where they could possibly lead. You know, even if he's not 100% uh, accurate on exactly the outcomes of what, what's going to happen, it gets your mind thinking. And it gets That's you right. knowing that this path can really go two separate ways. And they could be night and day from each other, this path that I'm on right now. That, that's right. And I love, I love, and you tell me if this was a parallel or the same for you. I love how my mentors and the people that I'm around that what I call iron sharpens iron together we rise is that they re, they make and they reassure me that I am my own hero. I'm the author of my story that regardless of the circumstances that I'm the captain of the ship and that I will be the reason for success or failure. And even in failure, my response, I'm in charge of that. And I can be my own hero. When I say that, Charles, does that parallel at all? Uh, some of the mentorship and some of the advice you've been given? Yeah, that makes perfect sense, man. Because now that I think about it with you saying that there's uh, also people that mentored me without really caring about whatever my football career was, you know, like, uh, right. At the end of the day, the advice could be like, that's great what you're doing. But I'm going to consistently be me and come to me if you need this. And don't expect me to, to feed into the, the football things that are going on, you know, because that's not right. really, that doesn't affect my life. So there's just honesty with that. And that there, yeah, there's a lot of great mentors like that. Yeah, absolutely. I remember I mean, one of my biggest mentors, man, one of my biggest mentors, I remember a day me going to his house and telling him that uh, there's a possibility I'm going to NFL. And I remember him saying like, you know what the odds of you making it to the NFL were? Like, he didn't believe it. Right. But it didn't even piss me off. It just made me, it made me feel better that I'm actually here talking to you and you don't see me as that great athlete. And we're actually just having a conversation, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the, the, yeah. the, the thing. That's the hard thing about uh, having a wisdom for awareness and awareness of one's life is not just to hear the good, but to get the real talk, to get the criticism. 
Uh, and that's what I ask people to tell me about my show or any project that I'm doing. I was like, man, I don't need you to butter me up. This thing is going to be successful, but to make it more successful or maximize this opportunity, I got to, I got to have you tell me the shit that's wrong here. That's what I need you to tell me, yeah. right? Some of that real talk. Yeah. And I say it all the time, hashtag real talk. How has that hashtag real talk? One example you've just given is like somebody saying, Hey man, you know what the odds are that you're going to even going to make it and how that real talk became a motivating force for you. Any other examples, Charles? Uh, not of myself, man, but just randomly today, man. So I'm working at Traction. I'm trying to get uh, some physical therapy experience that I put on my application when I apply to school in about a year. Yep. And in working at this camp, there's a there's a kid, man. His name is uh, Christian Briggs. Mm-hmm. He's a beast. Be. He's a uh, 6'4". I say he's about 220. He ran a 4'4 before he messed up his ACL. Whew. And that this is a couple years ago. Yeah, he's had a couple injuries, man, and he's been out of – he never was officially in the in the league. He, had, he did a couple camps and he tore a hamstring, got a settlement, left the league, and then he went to Arena League. And now he's trying to get back into the pros. Right. And uh, so I've been work, I've been working with him for like probably two months, just trying to get himself back into shape and get his mind right to get into a camp. But a lot of the stuff that's coming from me is all motivating things, all higher hitting things, higher, higher hitting. And on the other side of traction where I work at, there's a uh, Ryan Clark. He's a, a safety from the Steelers. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember played in, Ryan. Played in the Pro Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. So he he's on the opposite side doing the uh, exercise therapy and combine training and all that. And uh, just today, we we're trying to set up times, you know, uh, for him, for Ryan to be able to work with him. And I could just see that the advice from Ryan. Ryan sees athletes so much more often than I have. He's been out the league longer. He's been training athletes all the time. He's just telling him, no matter what you look like, uh, if you don't get in here day in and day out and put in this work, it's not going to happen. Now, soon he's going to slip through. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's me and Ryan are coming from the same place, but his his advice was different than my advice, you know? And I just right. saw that uh, Christian's going to learn different things from different people along the way. That's right. In different ways. In different ways. That's right. And so in that, I mean, I met you because Roddy Layton invited me to come speak at a camp and it was your camp where we first formally met. What, where, where does that come from? Like your your need um, to, to reach back to Pomona, our hood, and offer this free camp, the Charles Brown camp, and that you would come there. All of your boys that you mentioned that you used to play with, I met them there as well. They were all there helping out of that camp. Where does that come from, like that that you would reach back to the community where you grow up and, and help like that? Where, where does that come from? What's that about? Another another thing, man, just uh, I didn't have a direct a direct picture of it like how I had Sam Baker, but I knew that a lot of athletes come back and they give and it's the right thing to do. But even yeah. more than that, like Roddy, Roddy Layton always said something, man. Like if, if you probably ask him what's one thing that sports do, he's going to tell you it brings people together, you know? Right, different, right. Different, different races, different statuses. And then I just knew that doing the camp through Roddy Layton, I'm going to be able to see a clear picture of that and it's going to be motivating. And I'm going to meet a lot of people. I met you. I met a girl that's amazing to me named Jet Lagashian, who's probably – playing pro golf somewhere right now, but she filmed the camp. And at the time she was like 13 years old. Playing I golf. remember her. Uh, yeah. 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 Great girl. I talked to her about a year ago, but I haven't spoken since she was playing, taught herself how to play piano as well, man. That's she a, yeah, she's awesome. Golf and, 
I knew she was she she was going to a school. She got an offer, and it was a a Christian school, some private Christian school. I'm not sure what it was though. But yeah, where were we at before that? Oh yeah, the camp. So yep. I just knew that uh, it had to be done. It. What am I doing in the summertime? You know? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm working out probably four hours probably four hours out of the day. I probably have a summer school class that doesn't take up much time, and I just might as well organize this camp and, and see how it turns out. And the first one turned out amazing, and then yeah, we did man. it again. We did it seven times. I wish I was still doing it, you know. But that's yeah. kind of selfish. I've been able to work other people's camps and see their vision of how it should work. You know, so it is what it is. Yeah, no doubt. So, so you were with, uh, you were with the Saints, the Jets, the Giants, and the Cowboys. Let Let's just yes. break down some some of the things that you learned positively from the cultures that you were a part of during those four teams. Okay, could you help us with that? Give us some insight. What did you learn from being around Sean Payton? Because from the outside. Him and Drew Brees look like they're they're amazing people and they're all about it. They're all about the work, putting in the work, all of that. What are some life lessons that you learned culture-wise from those organizations you were a part of? Man, you gotta you gotta learn who you are as a person, man. Mm. That's the most one of the most important things in life. Learn who you are as a person. And if you have a true, a true image of who you are as a person, it's gonna carry on no matter what you're doing, you know. Uh if you're a hard worker in football, it's it's not going to be hard for you to be a hard worker in another avenue. You know, if you're mm. even if you're a forerunner, you know, it's good to know what you actually are. You know right. that you're a forerunner somewhere else. So you got to figure out how to get help after you already established the lead. You know, just learn who you are, learn who you are and be confident in who you are. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be accepted. It has to be. Yeah. So being around a, a guy like Drew Brees for for a handful of years, what was that like and how is he? And what did you learn? Uh, Drew's you amazing. Drew's, <clears throat> I didn't learn anything probably directly from him, but from watching, uh, watching what he does, I, I know he's a guy that, at the beginning of his day, he has a set of goals. He has a list of things he wants to do. And by the end of the day, he's gonna go through that list, and Drew's probably gonna be a person that got through that whole list, you know? Right. Whereas me, if I have a list, it's just it's just a basic guide, you know. I'm a deviate from the, the exact plan, you know. I'm gonna kind of go right, right, right. a little bit. I just know the difference between us in that part, and it's worked a lot better for Drew than it has for me. <laughs> <laughs> and what about Sean? And what about Sean Payton? You know, a Super Bowl winning coach. Well, what, what's what's your take on him? Sean Payton is actually more down to earth than you would expect, man. Like, uh, you would expect uh, Sean Payton to have the Drew, Drew Brees mentality. He probably does, but. He's a lot more laid back of a person than you would expect, man. But when it's time wow. time to work, it's time to work. But he knows how to he knows how to calm calm down and just be one of the guys on the plane after the uh after the game on the ride home. He's one of the guys in a way, you know. Yeah, he's yeah. not a coach that you're like. Uh, he's in the front. We can't talk to him until we get back into a meeting room. Uh, no matter how I played, you know. Yeah, he's just gonna get he'll give it to you straight. You can talk to him right then and there anytime. Wow. So on this portion. Here's your couple of minutes to take your time, Charles. Uh, what's your message to the world? I mean, what's the meaning for life? Or is there anything that you'd like or anyone you'd like to shout out? Take your time. Uh, like, well, like I said before, man, one thing I want everybody to know is you got to be comfortable in being yourself. And mm. you got to figure out how to, the only way to do that is to be yourself. And 
every image you have of yourself is probably not true. And the world is going to show you that. Just be true to yourself, man. And uh, I don't want to make anybody in a religion, but uh, the Christian religion, I think, will give you give you a good layout of what's going on around you, the reasons people feel the way they feel, the reason you get the reactions you get, uh, the reason why your highs can actually be lows. It's a good mirror to look through, man. Uh, that's one thing. I would like to give a shout out to my boys for sure that uh, were part of that team that I told you gave me a lot of motivation to change. Lamont Morgan, he uh, he went to Diamond Ranch High School with me. He played basketball. He ended up, he went to Saddleback College for a while, ended up going to BYU mm-hmm. and playing in a couple, playing in a couple of uh, international leagues. I know that. And then, uh, James Powell is another one of my friends. He uh, went to Louisville with me mm-hmm. and uh, ended up going to Glendora High School and got a scholarship to Santa Barbara where he played ball. Uh, as I say that, I just remember a highlight, man. He scored something like 60 points. Wow. And I remember us, me and I remember all of, I remember all of us talking about it. It might have been like 40 some points. It was a, a crazy amount of points. Right. And he hit a game winning shot right at the buzzer. But I remember us talking about it as a group. Uh, me and my boy Osar, because he was at UCLA close to me. And then we go to a dinner later and watching ESPN top 10. And I'm like, I bet you James shows up on this. And then they right. get to the top 10 plays and he's on there. And it just blew <laughs> my mind. So shout out to James for that. Yeah. And then my the last but definitely not least, my boy Osar, man. He uh, played quarterback at UCLA. We went to uh, Lord Beer together. And now he's got a, a beautiful family, man. And he's very deep, deep in his faith. And I, I call him for guidance on that sometimes too. And we share scripture and scare thought, share thought. And uh, yeah, that's what I've got for you right now, V. No, I love that. I love that. So now we got Charles Brown here on the Coach V Show where iron sharpens iron. Together we rise. We got Coach, Coach Brown on the hot seat. And we're going to say a few phrases. And we're going to see what Charles Brown comes to mind with that USC education down at LSU <laughs> doing his thing. So Charles Brown. Here is a Pomona quote from our boy Sugar Free that says, if you stay ready, you ain't got to get ready. What does what comes to mind when you hear that phrase, Charles Brown? It's man. Right now, I'm pulling everything back to be who you are, man. If you're always yourself, you don't have to you don't have to make any hard decisions. You know what you're going to do. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And you talked about knowing yourself. So I often teach and train my clients in terms of character is that you know who you are, you know who your God is or what you believe in, you know what direction you're going in, you know the difference between right and wrong. When I say that and that being character and that can help people figure out who they are, what's your thought, Charles Brown? You have to repeat that. You have to repeat that, V. I feel like yep. I'm going to finish yep. that with that, a period. That, that you but, uh... know who you are, right? So when we talk about knowing yourself, I always just try to coach up my people that, hey, you know who you are. You know who or what you believe in. You know what direction in life. I don't feel like you need to know exact destinations. That's going to help you, no question. But most people just need to have a direction and that you know the difference between right and wrong. And when you know those four things, Charles, I believe in coach and train that that's going to help you filter out a lot of bullshit and be able to focus and do your thing. Your thoughts. I believe that, too, man. I believe those are basically the ingredients for success, man. And knowing yourself is not like there's a finish line. This is me. Knowing yourself Mm. is like 
how how you feel, you know, how you feel along the way. You, I have a I have a certain I can keep up with this amount of being uncomfortable in this situation. And it's not a problem. I know myself. I've done this before or. Oh, I failed in this. It's cool. I know myself. I failed before. Now, what do I do next? You know, it's there's not a finish line to knowing yourself. It's like building up what you have inside. man. That's right. That's right. And and one of the uh, my past guests uh, that were uh, was on the show earlier this year, uh, Colonel Wills, he's always talking about being a lifelong learner. Right. And then me and him always talk about, hey, but you add what you know, the knowledge of what your goals are, who you want to become with action. Like like your boy was saying in the training, hey, this deal is about that action, consistency, performance, execution. I mean, you combine those things, they could be very powerful. So we're talking about knowledge and then these actions of accountability according to your dreams, hopes and aspirations. What's your thoughts on that, Charles? Man, the actions can go away. Some over amount of time, if you don't take action, there may be less actions that you could take, man. You know, mm. less opportunities. Make that the most is, opportunities that you have, you know? Yeah, that's absolutely some real talk. So we got a minute here, Charles, um, before I do the send-off. Is there anything, what are the final words for Charles Brown on your first time on the Coach V show? Because when you're back in SoCal. And COVID is over. We got to get you in studio. So there's a brand new studio, Dash Radio Studios on Hollywood, California. It's actually brand new. Right when they opened up, uh, two weeks later, the whole the whole thing had to shut down because of COVID. I would love to get you in studio. But until the next time I can get you on the show, any final lasting shout outs and words from the Charles Brown, All-American USC, uh, All-Pac-10, NFL career and now chasing his dream and figuring out who he is to pursue what he's doing in terms of being a physical therapist. Last shout outs. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in short, uh, all those goals, man, it's just, or all those accolades you just pointed out, it's just goals, man, and consistently showing up. Mm. But most importantly, man, if you're out there listening to this right now, I want to let you know you're in the right place. Because Biami's going to be a great host, a great speaker. I had him at my camp, and that's the first time I heard him speak, and I'm sure. I know that he delivers, man. I know he comes from a passionate place. And if it's your first time listening to this, uh, keep tuning in. Uh, he just mentioned to me that he has other shows. I didn't know about these other shows. I'm going to tune in and watch the uh, – I'm going to watch the previous ones myself. Well, thank you, Charles Brown, for coming on the Coach V Show. And that's it. Tune in next time. Me and brother Charles Brown from Pomona. That's where we're from. Shout out Pomona. And uh, everybody here at the studio and Coach V Show want to wish Charles Brown, as you're down there back on campus, being a lifelong learner, chasing your dream, man. Big shout out. Big ups to you. I mean, that's what's up right there, that you're out there living your dream. It is of great importance for each of us to better ourselves, just not for the sake of achieving success, but for the sake of being our best. In doing so, we realize the best of our abilities and that everything and anything that we dream and would work for can be achieved. This is how this success coach, keynote speaker, Hollywood radio show host and author lives all about faith and family. Grateful for God's amazing grace. Until next time, it is your boy, Coach V and brother Charles Brown on the Coach V show where iron sharpens iron. Together we rise. Peace. Let's go. Fight on.